0: This podcast was recorded on May 20th, 2020. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of DoubleLine Capital or its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes.
1: All right, uh, welcome to The Sherman Show. We're here on the morning of May 20th, 2020, as we are three months away and one trading day away from the all-time highs in the stock market. Looks like the NASDAQ is about to hit that level. So I thought I'd uh, jump on with my co-host, Sam Lau. Hey, hey. And we thought uh, in honor of uh, this three months and one day anniversary of the stock market high, who better to bring in than the treasury market guru at DoubleLine, Gregory Whiteley is uh, our portfolio manager and head of our government team here at DoubleLine. Welcome, Gregory.
2: Good morning. Thank you.
1: Yeah, so uh, that was a juxtaposition talking about the highs in the equity markets um, and uh, positioning that against the or positioning that against the treasury market. And there's a lot of activity today. Um, and I know that the 20-year auction is uh, on the horizon right now for the uh, historic uh, issuance of the 20-year Treasury. Uh, but before we talk about what's happening there, Sam, why don't you start us off with the uh, market roundup of what's happened since the last time we met last week?
3: All right, let's take a look at the usual suspects here. With the S and P 500, which uh, on the back of what backdrop of what you just said had a decent week, uh, to up two percent over the last uh, Wednesday, but it's still about down about nine percent on the year. The Barclays US aggregate was up 30 basis points to put the year to date number at just under 5%. Uh, If we take a look at gold futures here, we are up about 15% for the year. Copper futures on the front month LME, we're down 13%. Our friend WTI crude oil futures is still down about 50% on the year. But guess this strap in for this over a week over week basis. We're up 26% and I take a through last night and I take a look at the the screen today and it's up almost 5% on the day. So it's definitely had a a little bit of momentum since that uh, April 20th negative print. Moving on to sovereign yields on the 10-year basis, treasuries are basically unched at 69 uh, basis points uh, through last night. 10-year boon was eff- effectively flat on the week as well, uh, down about 50 basis points. And guess what, the JGBs did it. They targeted that 0% uh, 10-year uh, last through last night. We move over into um, spreads on cash bonds there. We have on an IG basis, The spread is just a little bit under 200, where it's been hovering uh, for the better part of the last three weeks or so, Uh, but that is in about 10 basis points on that spread at 195 again. High yield, on the other hand, is in about 30 basis points to 715, 715 basis points. EM at about 455, which, which is also in over the previous week. Moving into the economic roundup, our uh, our two favorites here that uh, unfortunately have been disappointing in the course of the last eight two months or so. Initial jobless claims about just under three million filed again last week, bringing the total to just over uh, 36 million over the course of the last two months. Continuing claims, oddly enough, was flat over previous week uh, for the most part, uh, despite the the uptick in initial jobless claims at just under 23 million, 22.8 million uh, for a little bit more precision there. Moving on to other parts of the economy, the uh, historical negative trends, uh, historical negative records continues, unfortunately. A couple whopping numbers here with starting with retail sales, we're down 16.4% on a month over month basis uh, that's also down 21.6% on a year-over-year basis. Now, this is a historical record on the month going back to February of 1992, similarly for the year-over-year, but going back to January of 1992. Um, you know how, you know, Jeff, we always said the devil's in the details. A lot of times you get these historically good or bad prints. And we say, well, you know, if you look at the underlying data, it's not as bad or not as good as it seems. Um, well, this one has has a bad he- a bad headline look, and unfortunately, it is as bad as it seems because pretty much you have some staggering negative prints there, with one loan positive print on the non-store retailer category, which is online sales, and that's the loan positive print again, up about eight and a half percent on a month-over-month basis. Pretty amazing.
1: In there to see that the grocery stores too, which it seems like you would think that um, they would continue to be prevalent with a lot of the safety at home or shelter in place, whatever the order is called, in your local uh, local region, uh, the grocery stores are now uh, printing month over month negative numbers again in terms of that growth. So it looks like that surge and that everybody stockpiled uh, and it's not really pulling through uh, continued there.
3: That's right, and it was down about. on the month, but we would have to note that uh, the previous month it was up over 30%. So I think given that record backdrop of people uh, stockpiling inventories, uh, some people call it hoarding, which I think is appropriate. In a, a few cases, there that uh, you know that it was tough. It was a tough trend to beat on a month over
1: month. Yeah, cases. I know that you you. I know that you were trying to find uh, digging to this data, looking at uh, a line item specifically for toilet paper uh, to see if that was going to <laughs> after the big surge or the purported surge and shortage, if that was going to taper off. But uh, I don't think you ever found that uh, line item in in the uh, BLS report, did you?
3: No, I didn't. I know they probably will start. Uh, at some point, they should start recording that because how uh, it was the second week right, of quarantine where you had the uh, the Sherman Outpost, trading outpost startup, where you had Mr. Mark Kimbrough come in and, and give you an emergency delivery there. So I don't know how that outpost has been going, but I think the grocery stores are a little bit better stocked uh, yeah.
1: these days. And for those who didn't listen, it's other way around, bro. I was the one offering toilet paper out to Mr. Kimbrough in exchange for eggs, which I could not procure here. So uh, that's where we started the outpost. So anyway, um, all humor aside, um, I think that we saw industrial production was pretty weak as well. Um, one of those um, negative prints that goes back to historic basis. Once again, I think the word "unprecedented" has been used an unprecedented amount of times, and I think we we, we abuse the word as well. Uh, but I think that was the worst since World War II. Um, looking out there, and not shockingly, when you shut the economy down, and you know, manufacturing outside of PPE is is something that was really shut down. Uh, not shocking to see that as well.
3: That's right. And you know the GFC was just slightly worse than the most recent print, but you know next months could always be a little bit worse breaking that record. Um, but yeah going back to WW2 um, and then prior to that of course the the Great Depression was kind of the, the all time uh, worst prints there. You know the next two uh, data points we can probably get some more color from Mr. Whiteley here, but uh, don't forget we've got the FOMC minutes from the April 29th meeting. Uh, coming today. So uh, perhaps we can get a little sneak peek on uh, in terms of thoughts from Mr Whiteley. Yeah, definitely. I, wanna,
1: to- I definitely want to come back to that because I want to get Mr Whiteley's thoughts on yield curve control. because There's a lot of speculation from the economists out there that that may be one of the new policies and, and people are looking at the minutes today to see if that was actively discussed or in what detail that was discussed. So We definitely need to make sure we ask his opinion about that.
3: Yeah, and just you know, just another tool, a you know, tool in the in the uh, toolbox there uh, that we can also draw from, you know, our friends uh, across either ocean here, I suppose. Um, and then finally, let's you know talk about the Fed balance sheet, which again we can use as a segue into Mr. Whiteley here. But uh, there looks like there's just over 200 billion uh, increase in the balance sheet over a previous week, and putting it just under seven trillion dollars. Uh, uh, as of uh, the last print there. So in total, since March 11th, which is kind of the midway point between the two emergency uh, Fed rate, uh, Fed target, uh, the discount rate, target rate, uh, targeted rates there. I just uh, don't call it that the overnight
1: thing. lending. Rate.
3: Overnight <laughs> lending rate, the two emergency uh, uh, cuts there. It's uh, Since March 11th, we've had about $2.6 trillion in additional uh, assets under the balance sheet there.
1: All right. Well, I think that is a good segue. So, Mr. Whitley, hopefully we didn't bore you with all this data, since you're an expert on all this data as it leads into the treasury market. But before we get into that, since it's your first time coming on the, the Sherman Show, uh, why don't you uh, give a little background of your experience, uh, how long you've been with the team in the industry, and give us a little bit of background, uh, how you got in the business?
2: Uh- uh, I guess, uh, as is the case for most people in the bond business, uh, got into it by accident. Uh, the bonds uh, don't really have a, a high visibility in, uh, in in the broader world. But uh, I was actually uh, on, the, on the the sell side. I worked at uh, Solomon Brothers for a few years uh, back in the 80s. Uh, and uh, was there, uh, you know, it, it was a... Uh, my view, it was like the golden age of Wall Street. It was uh, uh, a lot of new things going on. Uh, uh, Marty Leibowitz was was running the the famous uh, bond portfolio analysis group at Solomon Brothers. Uh, a, a lot of new developments in in uh, financial markets, uh, bond markets, uh, uh, bond market anal- analytics. Uh, it was an exciting time to to be there. Uh, I decided uh, though that. Uh, my interest really was more on uh, managing uh, bond portfolios and managed to uh, make a move over to the the buy side in uh, in 1990 uh, wound up with uh, the, the the company that uh, a, a lot of us uh, used to work for together uh, and so i I really joined the group that uh, we have here at uh, at double line uh, over 20 years ago and was the, uh, the, 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 government guy, uh, for that, for that whole time. And, and actually uh, for the most of that time, uh, the, 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 only bond guy, uh, the, I mean, the, the only government guy. Uh, so, uh, I moved, uh, to double line with the original group, uh, delighted to say, and it's been uh, a thrilling uh, experience, but, uh, at, at double line, uh, Kind of the, the the role of uh, government portfolio manager has grown and evolved. Uh, we've become a, a lot more integrated with other sectors. Uh, there's a lot more uh, portfolios, uh, funds, separate accounts, different strategies that uh, that, that have arisen uh, over the, the past ten years. So we're we're, uh, we're we're fairly involved in a lot of things at the firm. Uh, I had to relinquish my uh, my distinction as being the only one-man department at Double Line, but uh, the, the, that was uh, no longer tenable. But I was very fortunate when it came time to add to the team to, uh, to find uh, Elaine Jong, who's uh, uh, a marvelous, marvelously uh, smart and, and knowledgeable and capable person, uh, provides a... Uh, a lot of insight to me, uh, tremendous presence of mind, uh, and she's become really uh, an indispensable part of the government team. And then, uh, just within the past year, we added a, a third member, uh, Hannah Bashan, uh, who is uh, uh, another uh, bright young person with a with a bright future at Dublin. I think uh, fitting right in, and uh, the three of us work together very well. And uh, the three of us have had. A lot of uh, a lot of success uh, coordinating and uh, supporting one another and and working together through this uh, episode of of working remotely. Uh, uh, Delighted uh, with, with how well that has worked out so uh
1: yeah, so I think I want to talk about that because I think um, you know a lot of people think of treasuries as one of the more you know kind of uh, mundane asset classes, especially in the bond market, right there's not uh, typically these days you know, and maybe we can talk and put it in perspective of your thirty year history at the team and and more than that um, in the industry about how the Treasury markets evolved over the years. And so, I mean, you've seen it from when, you know, you had double-digit yields on Treasuries um, to uh, the most recent episode. Could you talk about the evolution of the Treasury market and how liquidity has uh, transcended that market over the last three-plus decades?
2: Sure. Well, yeah, I'd have to say, uh, b- b- well, I'd have to start off by saying uh, I think Treasuries are, are fascinating. Uh, it doesn't matter when you look at them, but uh, the, the, the market certainly has uh, evolved. It, it's become significantly larger. But I, I, I would say uh, from a, a longer term perspective, it's become somewhat less interesting, uh, the, the larger indeed. But it, this uh, slower growth, lower inflation world that we've been uh, uh, moving for for over 30 years now, uh, the, we've, we've got lower treasury yields and, uh, a, a flatter treasury yield curve. Uh, we, we've had a lot of, uh, intervention from the fed, which has dampened volatility in the treasury market. So, uh, the, the in terms of, uh, uh, total return prospects, uh, I, I can't say the treasury market is, uh, is all that attractive, uh. Uh, now, on an absolute basis, or relative to other sectors, on a on a historical basis. So, uh,
1: yeah. So it, let, let's talk about how volatility has evolved in that space too, because you know there's been massive issuance um, of treasuries uh, just given the the fiscal deficits over the last you know couple of decades. But um, let's go back and rewind the clock to um, about two and a half months ago. And let's talk about early March, how treasuries were trading and really um, the amount of volatility that transpired there prior to the Fed stepping in with some of these emergency programs.
2: Yes, well, it, the, that was uh, a remarkable month. Uh, March was, was pretty startling. I, I think it surprised uh, most everyone in the industry. I think it surprised the Fed. Uh, to To find that what was supposed to be the the largest and deepest securities market in the world uh, g- virtually uh came to a standstill. Uh, the Fed would be talking to dealers and, and dealers would would be saying we're, we're simply not able to make markets in these securities
1: uh, right so we, so that, how has how has that ever happened before in your career where people are unwilling to make markets in treasuries
2: uh, I have never seen that before there uh, there's been a couple of occasions uh, and I, I think back to for instance the, the the so-called taper tantrum back in 2013 where there there was uh there, there were a lot of people on one side of the boat at that time but but nothing like we saw in in march of this this past year uh you uh, you could always get a two-way market uh the, the, Yields were were trending higher fairly sharply back then through that period, but uh, it, but there was there was no thought, no notion that the market had had become unable to function, and that is what we really saw this past uh, uh, this past March. Uh, treasuries uh, to some extent were were penalized by their uh, status as the ultimate haven. Uh, uh, asset. Everybody wanted treasuries. Uh, everybody wanted on-the-run treasuries and and nothing else. So uh, it, the the investment management business was uh, please offer, please offer, please offer. Uh, but but then we we switched gears and uh, we moved into a, a stretch there of, of forced portfolio liquidation and uh, and then uh, hey, uh, what's easier to sell than a treasury? Uh, it didn't turn out to be all that easy to sell, actually, but uh, still easier than most other assets, I suppose. So we had uh, a wild ride there. We went into the uh, went into uh, March at a, at a yield of about 120 on the 10-year. Uh, we sunk to an all-time intraday low of 30 some basis points early in the month, and and rocketed up to. To to like a a yield of intraday of 122 or so, just a couple weeks later. Uh, Once the Fed uh, took stock of what was happening, uh, I'd say they uh, they intervened uh, uh, very aggressively and very quickly uh, with uh, uh, essentially unlimited repo and an asset purchase program that was. It was uh, an enormous by uh, uh, by any standards, many times the size of, of anything we saw in previous QE periods. Uh, to to provide liquidity and uh, uh, it, it just get things uh, get markets functioning again, and it, it, I think we we saw benefits from that uh, fairly quickly. Uh, market function did return. Uh, by the end of march bid offer spreads had, had shrunk significantly uh, market depth had improved significantly and uh, the 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 wild mispricings versus uh, fair value that we saw through the middle of the month had uh, had started to uh, to come back under control so uh, by the end of march we were already uh, well on the way to to healing but it, it was uh, a, a startling uh, a startling sight there through the course of of, of March, when uh, you, you'd be looking at, uh, uh, you know, and it, it was especially severe at the long end, but but even in intermediates, you'd be looking at a uh, like a, a a half a point bid offer spread uh, on a you know, like a a one year old sort of seasoned but. But but not uh, too terribly old issue, and uh, pull some dealers and uh, find several just uh, unable to, uh, unwilling to to provide a a bid or an offer, so it it was uh, it was on uh, an eye popping experience.
1: So let's put that in perspective. Let's put that in perspective, real quick, because you're talking about a half a point bid offer spread. What does it typically look like in the Treasury market, and how does that half a point compare to kind of some more challenging markets you faced, all la taper tantrum, or you know, um, let's say like an LTCM event um, in the late '90s? Uh, how does that compare? Uh, the,
2: the, this was this was much more severe. Uh, ordinarily, you would expect uh, these days something like uh, an uh, maybe a quarter of a thirty-second bid offer spread on an on-the-run treasury, and and on-the-runs continued to to do reasonably well through this. Is the the only issues it did, uh, but uh, uh, but like uh, a, a triple old ten-year, uh, a ten-year that was issued uh, three auctions ago, uh, you, you would expect to see a, a bid offer spread of of, of maybe a, a thirty-second. And instead, we're looking at at uh, uh, six or eight or 10, ten thirty seconds, uh, and and even at those uh, uh, wider bid offer spreads, uh, you're you're unable to to get a transaction done within that bid offer spread, uh, and you, you found dealers uh, unwilling to to bid or offer at those. Uh, fairly extreme levels.
1: And and what did it look like at that point? So, I mean, did it get as, as much as uh, a full point wide or, or what did it look like when you were actually trying to transact in that market?
2: Uh, the, it varied uh, by maturity. Uh, bills became, uh, oddly enough, uh, pretty dysfunctional. And uh, 10 years and longer, uh, old bonds became especially illiquid. Uh, 2045 2046 2047 maturity uh, 30-year bonds uh, were're trading with bid offer spreads of, of two and a half to three points uh, just just unheard of uh, but but even intermediates uh, it was uh, it was uh, you know I, you, you just can't avoid that word unprecedented
1: yeah, I mean, no, people okay. take a, people take that a lot for granted, right? In that market, that it's always assumed that the treasury market is deep, it's liquid, and um, it got roiled all of a sudden. What do you think is different and, and caused this? Was this just a pure liquidity panic? Um, is it the structure of dealer balance sheets and you know treasury? Uh, market participants, what what is your take on on what happened uh, over that that course, that wild ride over the the couple of weeks before the Fed intervened?
2: Well, the, the one thing was just uh, again the fact that uh, the, the the direction uh, of the market became so one sided, with, with so many people uh, either all looking for offers at one time or all looking for for bids at one time. But uh, the, the, there have been some some structural changes that uh, I would say exacerbated this problem, and uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, the the macroprudential rules that the the Fed has implemented since the, the the Great Financial Crisis. There are a lot of restrictions now on uh, on dealers in terms of uh, how much leverage they can employ, and uh, uh, basically uh, uh, to w- what their exposure can be. To different markets, so balance sheet uh, has become uh, much more precious uh, on the uh, on the dealer community than had been the case in the past, and that made it more difficult for them to uh, uh, to take on risk uh, on on either side. So, the, uh, I think one of the first things that, that that helped was uh, uh, the the Fed providing essentially unlimited repo. So dealers uh, had a place that they could uh, get their inventory inventory financed. Uh, not too much later, the the Fed uh, relaxed some of the rules on uh, uh, treasuries uh, counting toward leverage ratios, and and that made it easier for for dealers to to add to their balance sheets. But uh, yeah, yeah, yes, there there definitely was a. Uh, 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 call it a, a market structure uh, component to uh, to the challenges we faced in March in in, uh, in terms of uh, uh, regulatory constraints on uh, the how dealers were able to respond to uh, the the request for bids and offers from the from the buy side.
3: Yeah. So you mentioned the Fed stepping in there and relaxing some regulation, regulatory. Ah, uh, restrictions there for dealer balance sheets, and they've also come in and stepped up their uh, bazooka method, I suppose, of intervention by cutting rates back to zero again on the lower bound, uh, 25 on the upper bound, and uh, now we're on a period of unlimited QE. Uh, what are some of the other tools that you plan to see, or that you could expect uh, the Fed to, to come out with, and perhaps you know some? some uh, insight into what Jerome, may, Jerome Powell may be saying today, or not saying today, but uh, maybe expressing through some of the Fed minutes that we'll be seeing later today.
2: Right. Well, the, the, the Fed has uh, introduced a, a pretty uh, sweeping array of programs over the, the past couple months, uh, and, you know, targeting uh, corporate bonds, money market funds, uh, municipal bonds, uh even uh you know fallen angels uh high yield debt now so uh they they're they're all aimed at this idea of uh of facilitating market function and keeping uh credit keeping money flowing to uh to businesses and, and individuals to uh, uh to help get us through this uh, the shutdown and, and, and virus episode. But uh, the, it's specific to treasuries, though, it's it's really the the repo and the asset purchases uh, together with the uh, relaxation of the uh, regulatory binds that uh, have, have made the difference there. So going forward, I, we'll see what the Fed comes up with next. Uh, Powell has said that, uh, there's more that they can do, and more that they they will do if it if it seems more is needed. So it's uh, it's not clear exactly what that might be. There, there are a few programs uh, I, I think four of the, the programs the Fed has announced still have not actually started up. Uh, Powell says they they will all be started by by the end of this month. Uh, there was some discussion about. Uh, a new facility to to lend to businesses that that had been sound before the pandemic, but but now we're we're facing difficulties because of a, a sharp loss of revenue. Uh, I don't know where that that might go, but I don't, I'm not expecting a lot in the way of new programs from the Fed. And I think the the programs that they put in place for uh, for the treasury market, at least, uh, are sufficient to. Do what they've stated they wanted to do, which is to uh, restore function to the market. And, and so now w- we do have uh, two-sided markets again. We've got reasonable bid offer spreads and 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 good market depth. So the the treasury market is functioning again. And uh, there there are some spots where it's still a bit challenged, like at the long end. But uh, but. But the the level of function actually is back uh, close to where it was uh, before March, before this whole episode began. So uh, I think they they've done a, a good job there, uh, a, a, a good job in stating what their objective was and uh, coming up with some programs that uh, that that were up to to doing the job to uh, to to getting uh, getting them to to where they wanted to go but uh I, I think uh sam maybe uh something you're alluding to or or touching on there is uh uh possibility some some policy changes uh that that you mentioned earlier like yield curve control or or negative interest rates uh i think two topics that are getting a lot of discussion i think they're they're both kind of interesting but uh i i don't you want to uh dive into those topics
1: well before you do, real quick, I wanna just clarify since you've been speaking, the um I got a email from the federal reserve um you know just just their alert so not that i'm in direct contact with jerome Um, yeah jerome doesn't email me anymore or at least doesn't respond to my emails um but uh it did say that they expect the first half subscription to be on june 17th and that's one of the um, asset lending plans that's supposed to help out uh other pockets of the market outside of corporate bonds as well as outside of uh, the treasury market so um, it looks like um, that that program's coming together as well. I know that we've started the uh, secondary credit market facility um, for buying corporate bonds uh, via BlackRock um, for the Fed. So it does seem that those things are, are functioning. So um, it, it, the, the programs are at least underway.
2: Good. Yes. Um, actually, great. Before you
3: jump into the negative rates and yield curve control as possible tools, i Definitely would like to touch on that. Um, one thing I did want to check with you, I mean, and it may not be in your, your area, but uh, as a Fed watcher, what do you think about in terms of the toolbox at the Fed? Yellen, I believe it was a month or two ago, uh, mentioned that the Fed does not need to buy stocks at this point, but it's something that Congress should perhaps reconsider thinking of allowing the Fed to do. Those kind of statements just makes me wonder: Is the Fed starting to run amok and just move out of their the scope of their uh, their mandates? Um, you know, some people are talking about the the fact that they're directly or indirectly, you know, depending on who you ask, buying um, high yield bonds uh, or lending, you know, through l- providing loans, you know, to to buy high yield bonds. That, that the Fed is starting to run out of scope. Is that something that you agree with, or is there thoughts around that?
2: Well. Uh- the legal profession—they—they they have a saying: uh, uh, "Hard cases make bad law," and I, I think this is sort of the uh, analog in the the financial world. We've had this uh, severe—I uh, fear to call it a crisis—in in the financial markets as, as a result of the the, the very uh, uh, amazingly sharp shutdown in the economy, uh, tremendous uh, uh, demand shock. Uh, and so you could look at each one of these programs uh, and say, "Ah, oh, yes, well, that's something that will help the economy." You know, that's something that we need done. Uh, taken uh, all together, though, I agree with your your point, Sam. I, I think uh, the Fed. Uh, you know, I don't know if, if, that I would describe it as running amok, but but certainly uh, w- the common understanding of. The Fed's mandate, the common understanding of uh, the the range of Fed policy, uh, it has expanded enormously just over the past couple months. Uh, the, the The Fed is now operating in areas that that it had never operated in before, and it seems like it's sort of uh, uh, tippy toeing along the line uh, along the border between. What uh, what is legally permitted and and what's not, uh, but uh, it, going back to World War II, uh, there was a huge expansion in the in government debt, and there was uh, a, a big expansion in the role that uh, the Fed and the Treasury took in managing the economy. Uh, we were facing a, a, an ex- existential threat at that point but what we saw in the aftermath it, 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 it took a few years uh, before the, the fed backed off from uh, all the controls they would put uh, in place in the uh, in, in the financial markets but but when the threat was gone uh, these extraordinary measures were were withdrawn and we we went back to the world that that everyone uh, even us old timers that that are in the uh, the markets right now are used to where the, the one tool that the Fed had uh, and the way that they implemented policy was through control of the short rate. And now we're seeing the, the Fed uh, expanding into to all kinds of different areas. Uh, I, I think it's uh, I think it is, is definitely a danger. Uh, it, there's a, a, a danger in uh, the, the Fed and the Treasury and the Fed and the Treasury together. Uh, uh exercising too much control uh over the economy in the financial markets and damping out uh, price signals and 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 uh, uh signals for for supply and demand that uh, that a freely functioning market provide uh and so we'll have to see if uh if these controls are, are unwound when this Crisis passes. And, and
1: uh, yeah, well, I, th- I think yeah. that's important too, because you're talking about how, you know, it was extraordinary measures, po- you know, for World War II. We've seen this kind of in the QE program that the Fed's launches of late, QE4, as we're now colloquially referring to it. You know, um, that amount of purchases, as, as Sam mentioned in the intro on the macro side, that they've, they've spent more, they've increased their balance sheet by buying Treasuries, Agency MBS, and Agency CMBS by more in over, I think it was a five or six week period than they did throughout all of QE3. Right. Um, and then also, as you, you brought up too, that the only thing that really it compares to either on a nominal basis or you know as a percentage of GDP, I'm sorry, as a non-nominal basis, nominal is obviously the highest, uh, but as a percentage of GDP or as a percentage of outstanding treasury stock, um they've actually you know uh, the only period that does supersede that is the uh, world war ii era and then you talked about how we went to unprecedented times but i have to kind of ask the question here on do do you do you actually believe that we can go back to kind of these normal times or pre-crisis type levels because we never really got out of it from the global financial crisis and there's right. a lot of investors out there that have been coddled with the Fed put, and so that's in the lexicon, it's in the psyche of, of investors. And so, you know, um, beyond the whole idea, does this create moral hazard? And then extending that scope out further and further into other sectors and asset classes of the market, I do think that um, you do create this moral hazard of losing price discovery and understanding how uh, the markets work. But do you actually feel that we can get there? Because I, I recall Bernanke saying that you know the balance sheet increase is just temporary. It's just temporary. It took them eight years to start the unwind, and then we only got what about ten um, percent of the uh, the balance sheet. I guess it was maybe about fifteen percent of the balance sheet got unwound. Before you started seeing more problems, so how do you think about that on a go-forward basis? Let's say over the next decade or so.
2: Um, I, I'm pessimistic. Uh, what we saw after World War II was that the, there was the the, the presumption that uh, the debt that was incurred to to finance the war effort would be paid down, and in fact it was uh, over time. Uh, but as you point out. Uh, the, The balance sheet expansion that we saw in the wake of the great financial crisis uh, never really did get unwound. You can make excuses for that: Uh, the the different operating regime. Uh, They went to a a, a plentiful reserve regime, uh, whereas they'd been on a a scarce reserve regime before that. But but still, uh, uh, there's really no indication that uh, there's going to be any big rush to unwind any of these measures. And in fact, uh, Powell, in, in his recent testimony, he's been out a few places, uh, uh, congressional testimony a couple of times and uh, a, a webcast and a 60 Minutes appearance, uh, losing track of uh, uh, in which forum he made which statement. But uh, but it seems that they're not going to be, they, they've come right out and said, they're not going to be in in any big rush to to wind down their balance sheet, and so uh, the, to me, that kind of uh, <laughs> kind of suggests never, because uh, if they're not even uh, starting out with the premise that that these measures will be unwound, then uh, we're, we're behind the eight ball uh, uh, from the very start. And well, I think and I, where I, it all leads to, Jeff, is uh, yeah, the, the, the 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 word uh, the. The the term that I was heading toward, and, and you mentioned it just a minute ago, is this notion of moral hazard, and uh, it, even more in the credit sectors, the risk sectors than in in treasuries. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing situations again where uh, irresponsible behavior by corporations is. is uh, it, is sort of being rewarded in in a sense. In, in that there's no price being extracted uh, from from companies that were behaving irresponsibly. Uh, if you you ran up a lot of debt and, and uh, used the money to to buy back your stock, levered yourself fairly sharply, uh, now all of a sudden you're hurting because your revenue challenged. Uh, you know the uh, people have been warning about this increase in corporate leverage for for many years, and. and it struck me as uh, irresponsible. Uh, and and now it turns out uh, perhaps there's uh, no penalty for having done that uh, and, and make sure your, your debt is, uh, is,
1: is purchased. Yeah, I did see today that you're speaking of issuing debt for buybacks. There was an article of uh, Herbalife was talking about floating a high yield issue at a roughly an eight coupon today with the intention of using it to buy back stock. I mean, can you you talk about being tone deaf in the market today where we're talking about, you know, 36 million people filing for unemployment insurance? You know, more than 23 million are already on the unemployment insurance. And you have a company out here that wants to test the the markets right now uh, to try to buy back stock. Now, again, there's a broad range of purchases, and that obviously is the toxic headline grabbing uh, phrase out there. But uh, I mean, just kind of being tone deaf out there. But I think about what happened with the ECB and they created all the TLR, TLTROs. Is that right, Sam? I, I can never remember that acronym exactly right. Um, but when they were, once they started getting into the corporate bonds and, and trying to use these lending facilities to provide the kind of bad loans and, and solve that, that the ECB has just not been able to get out of that. Um, because those loans have to roll over. No one wants them. And then you create this overhang on the overall economy and we do it for the good of the economy. And again, that's up in air quotes, the good of the economy. So uh, do you think that, you know, stepping into this arena with corporate bonds does create this next level of moral hazard where we actually can't ever even get out of the unwind of these corporate securities for the same reason?
2: Uh, I think so. I, I, I think we're, we're... I think we've moved into a, a brave new world here. This is, if not already, then will over the the course of the upcoming months, uh, become just the the sort of standard accepted notion of the role that the Fed is supposed to be playing in the economy. Uh, something that's uh, that's that's necessary and appropriate, and 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 not something that uh, necessarily should be unwound. So yeah. Uh, that, that, that would uh, you know, certainly not be my view of things, but, but it seems to me that, that that's the, uh, the way uh, society and, and the economy and the financial markets are moving.
1: Well, you'd mentioned earlier when you were talking about the, the volatility episode that we had in, in uh, March and, and Treasury's not being immune to that. You, you mentioned a phrase in there saying that Treasury's deviated from fair value. Can you give us a way of thinking about that? I remember, you know, I I learned from you and others in in the uh, treasury market that the old adage was the long bond traded roughly around nominal GDP. And we thought about the way that looks. And if nominal GDP is kind of above average for a few or above treasury rates, it kind of pulls treasury rates or at least the long bond up that direction and vice versa. Um, How do you think about that in today's world where you have this massive intervention from a buyer? Um, how do you think about it from you know this muted volatility due to that? Um, what do you think about premiums, term premiums, and the like? H- how do you think about fair value in today's market? And as you called it, this brave new world.
2: Um, it, it's, uh, it, it's it's early in the game, I think. Uh, we're, we're just arriving, uh, just just moving into this brave new world. So uh, it, it, it's a little bit early to say, but. Uh, uh, the, the fair value on the on the two year, I think, is is like uh, 10 to 15 basis points. The, the the Fed has said that they do not intend to uh, to, to raise rates anytime soon. Uh, they're they're going to be keeping policy rates low well after this immediate crisis passes. They're going to remain accommodative until. Uh, and, and until it's clear to them that the economy is well on its way to uh, recovery and uh, on its way back toward the the, the Fed's dual mandates of you know, price stability and, and full employment, so I, I think we can say that uh, the interest on excess reserves is is going to be at uh, somewhere near five basis points for uh, for as as far as the eye can see. Certainly for for the next two years and. Uh, uh, if the short rate is going to be at five basis points uh, for two years with with virtual certainty, then why should the two year treasury be very much higher than that? So uh, I, I think you uh, you you lose any uh, meaningful external reference point uh, for, for for thinking about what fair value is. Uh, fair value for the two year is. Uh, has been determined for us by the fed uh, through their, their their policy action and their and their forward guidance so uh, on the at, the at the longer end uh, it, I think it's kind of the same thing where you you no longer have uh, uh, traditional guides uh, to to help you think about where uh, where the level of rate should be we've had a, a huge deflationary or at least disinflationary demand show, uh, here uh, and so uh, inflation is lower and, and so appropriately uh, interest rates are, are lower also uh, we've had the fed buying uh, but we also have uh, an enormous uh, flood of, of treasury supply on the way and treasuries made it clear that they intend to to shift uh, some of the burden of this supply from from short end and, and slow the rate of increase of their issuance of bills and, and move that to the long end. We've got a brand new 20-year uh, 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 of unexpectedly large size. Uh, Treasury's told us that they're going to in, be increasing the size of the 10- and 30-year auctions. So we have some upward pressure there from uh, from from Treasury supply. And uh, it, those two things, rather than uh, thoughts about where, uh, uh, w- w- how fast the economy is growing uh, or, or what's uh, driving the level of rates. And we've seen a, a little bit of a uh, an upward bias toward uh, uh, in rates at the long end recently here. Uh, so, uh, some of that is supply pressure. But we're all kind of wondering uh, uh, w- what is going to be the extent of, of Fed intervention uh, at the long end? And uh, the, the, their asset purchases that, that through March uh, they declared were were there for the intent of, of restoring market function uh, have tapered off significantly. They're still fairly high by uh, the standards uh, we became used to uh, during the QE QE episodes on the Great Financial Crisis, but but very definitely tapered significantly from. $75 billion uh, per day, where they started out in March, but there has not been any inkling of uh, 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 of those purchases morphing into a more traditional uh, QE asset purchase program. So we don't know how uh, uh, how strongly the Fed's going to intervene at the long end. And, and, uh, uh, my understanding from from uh, talking to economists and strategists that, who have communications inside the Fed is that the uh, the Fed wants to to see uh, short rates low but positive, and they want to see uh, a positive slope to the yield curve at the short end uh, to, to to keep the the banking system right side up. But they're really not that concerned right now about the absolute level of yields at the, at the long end. And so uh, the, we feel like we know that there's two, uh, these two forces in play, uh, the deflationary pressure uh, uh, from this uh, economic shock, but but uh, pressure for, for rates to, to to rise because of supply. And uh, we haven't been able to gauge yet exactly how that's going to balance out. We're, uh, unfortunately, rather than looking to the economy, uh, looking to the uh, uh, the outlook for growth, and inflation, we're sort of uh, w- waiting for the Fed to to let us know how much they're they're going to come in and uh, and manipulate rates. Yeah. So so Greg, um, Sherman and I both hijacked uh, the conversation
3: a little bit earlier, but you did want to touch on negative rates as a policy tool, and you also mentioned yield curve control, but it looks like. Uh, You covered that, but in terms of negative policy rates uh, as a tool, is that in our near-term future? And Uh, if so, what are the implications? uh,
2: I I really think that is not in our our near-term future. And uh, obviously, there are are, are those in the market who disagree with me uh, because we have seen uh, negative Fed funds rates in the Fed funds futures market out in 2021, and we've seen pockets of the the swap market that is uh, pricing in at, at least a, uh, a significant uh, possibility of negative Fed funds rates uh, out in, in in 2021. But it, it, I I I disagree. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I don't know if those are the result of uh, a bank that just wants to to hedge tail risk or if it's uh, uh one or more macro funds that that just have a very negative view of the economy and are are thinking in terms of uh sustained deflation uh, but uh I don't believe that the 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 Fed wants to implement uh negative policy rates uh, the, uh Powell's been very clear on that uh last time uh he, he he was talking about uh, an FOMC meeting. He said that that every member of the FOMC agreed that negative rates were were not a good policy to implement right now uh, in the United States. And so, uh, the, I take that as fairly unequivocal. Uh, some people look at that and say, "Oh, look, he was hedging." He said uh, he said they're, they're they're not right for for right now. Uh, so, uh, I. It's conceivable if uh, this recession turned into a depression and we saw sustained deflation, one percent, two percent, three percent per year, uh, intermediate and longer rates, where the market still has some some say, uh, would have to 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 go negative to uh, to to follow inflation down into negative territory, and in that kind of circumstance. uh, the Fed could be you know, the, their, their hand could be they could uh, decide they need to move uh, short policy rates lower as well to, to try to avoid uh, high real uh, rates that would be detrimental to the economy. But I think the the FOMC feels like there, there are, are very uh, significant costs involved with negative interest rates, uh, problems with market function and, and uh, financial intermediation and uh, uh, unlike Europe uh United States has a a, a huge uh, a, a massive assets in uh, government money market funds fixed 1 dollar NAV uh, the that industry would just uh, would not be able to survive negative interest rates for, for very long. Yeah, so. I think
1: I think what you pointed out there, too, is it gave both sides the argument um, to hear what they wanted to hear and uh, kind of have that confirmation bias where, you know, um, Powell did say for now, they're not considering it. And then he also emphasized that every member of the FOMC um, did not think it was an appropriate policy tool. So, uh, depending on which side you're on, you can argue both sides, uh, both sides of that equation um, through the semantics, right? So right,
2: right. But but for, for for me, I look at the, the the my first problem with a negative interest rate idea is that is is just not good policy. Is in my mind, it's not clear to me uh, the 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 mechanism uh, through which negative rates are, are supposed to uh, provide any benefit to the real economy. The ECB, uh, Europe especially, uh, has sort of embraced negative rates, uh, and I have yet to see any unambiguous evidence that that there's been any significant benefit. Uh, their, their their banking system has been uh, suffering and and declining uh, throughout, but. Uh, but even there, where, where they've been in, in enthusiastically using negative rates, uh, and, and you know, so sort of in a in a modified way, uh, the, the, because they also recognize that there's implementing a negative interest rate policy uh, in, in a way that that isn't going to cause too much problem. But 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 even in Europe, I, I have yet to, to hear. Uh, 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 a sound, coherent rationale uh, for you know for how they expect to see a benefit from this policy. so the, to me uh, you can you can argue about the semantics of of what Powell has said uh, back and forth, but but ultimately uh, the, the it's a bad policy. So why would they want to uh, implement negative rates in the United States?
1: Yeah, no. And uh, I know we all wholeheartedly agree being uh, bond investors, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to want to buy things with negative yields unless you think they're going sniffly more negative. So, hey, uh, Gregory, this has been fascinating, as you, as you promised coming out, that the Treasury market's fascinating. Your insights are fascinating here. Um, uh, but we are running up on time, so I want to... Um, make sure that we get to Sam's favorite part of the show before we let you go this morning. So Sam, why don't you take it away? Yeah, and that favorite part of the show, as Sherman says. Uh,
3: Mr. Whiteley, uh, I'll give you the rules of the road here. What I'll do is I'll uh, alternate between you and Sherman and provide a series of prompts to which you each uh, answer your respective prompt and i will start with mr sherman with heroes act say again heroes
1: act oh, heroes for some reason i heard caros like that restaurant out here in california yeah. i don't know if that's a nationwide thing but uh, uh d o a for heroes act
3: <laughs> yeah it was supposed to uh the house voted and passed it last friday and it's supposed to go to vote sometime this week in the senate but i've heard nothing <laughs> yeah heard nothing but it, it does irritate me because at first, you know, I thought the HEROES Act wasn't, you know, we were joking about the acronym, but we, I, I thought it was for the American people that they're referring to. But, you know, if you think about it in Congress, they probably named it after themselves, seeing themselves as the HEROES. So the eponymous HEROES Act, I suppose, just irritates me. Uh, but anyway, to Mr. Whiteley with Stephen Mnuchin. uh,
2: Competent functionary. Uh, I have, uh, I have no real issues with, with Mnuchin. I, I don't think he, he's, uh, he's done a bad job by any means. Uh, probably not, uh, a, a treasury secretary will go down in, in history as, uh, uh, someone we all look up to, but, uh, uh, yeah, I think he's, uh, he, he's done a capable job and, uh, I'm comfortable having him there. And off to Sherman with Yield Curve Control.
1: Manipulation.
3: Brick and Mortar to Mr. Whiteley.
1: Uh,
2: Suffering. Uh, uh, The the, the, the old world uh, that that is uh, suffering on its uh, its way to a painful demise. And for Sherman, Whitley. Nickname. Investor Sentiment.
3: To Mr. Whiteley.
2: Uh investor sentiment uh uh very mixed
1: wedding season postponed indefinitely
2: class of 2020. Uh ooh boy uh I, I feel sorry for those guys. Uh, this happened. Uh, this whole virus thing happened at a, at a extremely inopportune time for them. Agreed. Brazil,
3: spiking. And the last one to Mister Whitley, Milwaukee Eight.
2: I love the Milwaukee Eight. I got to tell you, I uh, I I own one uh, and. Uh, Uh, I think it's the best Harley engine that, uh, that Harley's ever made.
1: I agree with you there. All right. Well, that we'll end that on your biker notes. Uh, For those of you not aware, Mr. Lau and Mr. Whiteley are are big fans of motorcycles, specifically Harleys as well. So um, Gregory, thanks for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Uh, it's always insightful. I think you, you elucidated a lot of our listeners there on the inner workings of the treasury market, and hopefully there's no shortage of treasuries to be trading in the near term. So thanks again for joining us, and um, uh, we look forward to having you back again uh, on The Sherman Show sometime in the future.
2: Okay, thanks. Uh, I had fun, uh, Jeff, and Sam. I hope to be, a- be back.
1: Okay. And so for our listeners out there, too, you can follow us on the Twitter. We have at Sherman Show Pod. Uh, that's the handle. We'll put out some charts. We'll uh, we'll back up some of uh, Mr. Whiteley's comments there with charts out there. And uh, stay tuned in uh, for next week. Uh, as we have an external guest this week, uh, we're going to get into some of the modeling um, out there about uh, some of the uh, fascinating uh, things going on in the economy right now. So stay tuned for next week uh, as we'll bring that guest to you shortly.
0: audio presentation represents DoubleLine's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without express written permission of DoubleLine. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from DoubleLine, please contact media at DoubleLine.com. Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability therefor, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. DoubleLine is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any double line entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any double-line entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2020 Double Line Capital